Uh, I want to start a couple weeks of focus on God and money. God and money. And a lot of you go to this church and you've told me, you know, Pastor Ryan, I love how you just preach it like it is. Okay, we're going to see how you feel about this after uh, we get going here a little bit. So today I'm going to talk on the subject of tithing or robbing. Tithing or robbing. We thank the Lord for his word and we're open to everything that God's word has to say. Uh, I talk about giving uh, every week, actually. Do you know that? Pastor Ryan, how often do you talk about giving? Every week I talk about giving forgiveness, giving mercy, giving words of encouragement, uh, giving your life to follow the Lord. And people are totally cool with that. The only thing they get a little nervous about is when you talk about giving money specifically. And to put you at ease, don't worry, we already received the offering today. So at the end of this sermon, we're not going to you know, be collecting anything. And you can just kind of relax and, and take it in and process it. But I understand that people get a little defensive. They get a little skeptical when the subject of money comes up in church. And maybe you're already feeling like a little concerned planning your exit. Uh, but don't worry, it's going to be okay. I actually love talking and teaching about money. First off, because I personally struggled with this issue and surrendering this area of my life to the Lord when I was really starting to follow Jesus. I just didn't want to honor God with my finances. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. <laughs> Any shock there? Uh, but then personally, I've experienced both the struggle of handling money the wrong way and the blessing of handling it the right way. And so personally, as just a Christian, I've become convinced that everything God says about this is true. And then I've seen now thousands of people who are members of our church family also experience God's faithfulness and blessing as they put him first in their finances. Amen, church? And I really do enjoy talking about this subject because it's a heart issue. There is like an invisible tether spiritually between your heart and your wallet or your purse. You pull your heart out, or your wallet out, and it's like your heart is right there with it. It's, it's really a heart issue. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's one thing, you know, to talk about God or sing about God. But show me what's going on in your checking account, and I can tell you how you really feel about loving and trusting the Lord. Anything you love, you will ultimately give towards. And the things that you give towards, you will eventually love. That's what Jesus is teaching us, your treasure and your heart. They're side by side. That's just one reason parents care so much about their kids you spent a lot of money to keep those kids alive. You know, like those braces cost a lot. You're invested now. You want to see them turn out okay. But God cares about your heart, and your heart is connected to money, and that's why Jesus had so much to say about money. It was one of the three subjects he talked about the most. People who have none worry about getting it. People who have some money worry about keeping it. And then those who have it, you know, then they have, have debates about how to spend it. It can cause a lot of stress, a lot of frustration, a lot of anxiety. And this is why God talks about it in his word, because he cares about your whole life. And I think if we're all being honest, money's a pretty big deal in our lives. The most important deal, though, is if you use your finances to worship the Lord. That's really what it comes down to. And Proverbs 3, 9 says this, honor the Lord, how? With your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops 
Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So money talk, it's ultimately a conversation about how to honor God. And we should honor God with every part of our lives. The way you talk, how you work, your sex life, your relationships. And that also includes your finances, your wealth. And in that verse, that passage there, you see, you know, it talks about wealth and crops, first fruits of your crops. And some of you, you might think, well, I'm not a farmer. I ain't got no crops. Okay, well, this was written, scripture was penned in an agrarian society. It's really a farming community. And that's why in scripture, there's so much sowing and reaping language that's used because that's what that society uh, would be thinking in terms of. But we, we can use our brains and the Holy Spirit helps us to read that text and then filter it uh, to our modern day so we can apply it to our lives. We wanna honor the Lord with our wealth and that would not probably be crops for most of you, but it would be your income. That's what you live off of. That's what you have financially to honor or dishonor the Lord. And, And so this is an important issue. Let me talk through it. How do you honor God with your wealth? I want to make it very clear. I think clarity is kindness. So here's the first thing. Recognize that he's the owner and you're the steward. you got to get clear on your role in the situation. You hear about money and some of you, you think, oh, no, this pastor is trying to get my money. And I understand the concern, uh, but... I want to put you at ease. I want you to keep really good hold of your own money. Actually, just do this. Grab your wallet. If you're a guy, I'm going to ask you for a little illustration participation. Uh, If you're a guy, take out your wallet, hold it in your hand. If you're a girl, uh, take your purse, clutch it. Ladies, clutch your purse, your pocket. If you got that, you know, just hold on to it. Uh, If you don't have either, you could grab your phone, maybe your keys. Hold on to those in your hand because some of you do that Apple Pay, phone pay thing. So first off, it's a benefit. You're holding on to this stuff. You don't have to worry. No one's coming to snatch it from you. You clutch it, you know, tight. Like, you're not getting it, right? Uh, But I, I want you to hold it for just a minute in your hand as you listen to this next section. In Job 41, here's what God says. God says, who has given me anything that I need to pay back? Everything under heaven is mine. So I want you to understand very clearly, you don't actually have any money. You hold on to God's money. You got to be really clear on that. You are a steward, and let's define that. A steward is a person employed to manage another's property. Uh, It's to manage or look after another's property. He's the owner. You're the steward. We are stewards of God's property. And so an analogy would be like, let's say you were going away for the weekend and you wanted to hire me to house sit for you. You think that pastor's probably pretty responsible. We could trust him. We'll give him some free pizza. He can come over and watch the house, you know? And so you say, hey, Pastor Ryan, just, you know, if you could just lock up at night, maybe take the trash out, trash day on Monday. Uh, but otherwise, you know, help, help yourself to some snacks and enjoy the TV and, and we'll be back, okay? So what if you came back after the weekend and I'm, you come in your house and I'm in there like, hi, and the house has been painted purple, like, what happened? Well, I just, I really feel like it was a nice color, you know, very royal, and I just wanted to freshen things up. And all the furniture's been rearranged and, and replaced. Where'd my furniture go, you'd say? And, you know, I'm like, well, you know, I just felt like this was a better flow, better feng shui for the house, and I like this furniture better. It was more comfortable for me. And, and then you found, like, a family of gypsies living in your spare bedroom. And you're like, what's going on? Why are there people in our house? They're, they're, what's, what's happening? We didn't invite those people to our house. 
And what if I said, you know, well, since I was here anyway, I felt like maybe I should make some money, and, and so I sublet out one of your rooms, and, you know, it's good for me. They'll be very respectful. Don't worry. Like, you'd be mad. You'd be mad. You'd be, bro, you don't have the right to make those kind of decisions about my house. I would invited you to take care of it not take ownership and redecorate and move things around and do things with it that I didn't ask you to do because you're the owner and I was just a steward in that situation. And it's very similar with the Lord. He has, he has given you a, a salvation and eternal life and then entrusted you with finances. And because he's the owner, he gets to define how our finances are used. And ultimately, my personal opinion, what a pastor says, uh, doesn't really matter. Neither does what you think about how you should handle your money. What really matters is what God says, because he's the owner. It belongs to him, and we are called to steward it properly. So if you're still holding your wallet, if you're still holding the purse in your hand, I just want you to, to hold that, and for a brief minute, just... Pray to yourself, think to yourself, everything in my hand has been placed into my care by God. And I have to use what he has entrusted me with in a way that honors him. Okay, so that's the first thing. Everything is God's. You're a steward. You can put your stuff away if you want. Uh, No one's coming to snatch it. It feels good, right? Here's the second thing. The way we honor him with our wealth, we return the tithe to him first. And I want to teach on this. First, notice I say return and not give. Because technically, you cannot give something that doesn't belong to you. You cannot wake up tomorrow and be like, you know, I'm feeling real generous today. I'm going to give away my neighbor's car to a needy family. (laughs) How nice would that be? You'd be like, it was a nice idea, but you, you can't give away something that doesn't belong to you. You can only give that which belongs to you. So with tithing, because it belongs to God and he says, it is mine, we're really just bringing it back to him. We're returning it to him. Every time you get a paycheck or income or profit on a deal, you have a choice whether to return the tithe or keep it. You can return it in worship or you can steal it for yourself. And where am I getting that strong language? From Malachi 3.8, where God asks this question, will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? That's a good question. And some of you never heard this teaching before uh, in a church, and you're like, how are we robbing him? This is perfect that God happened to include this in the Bible. It's like he knows what he's doing. God says, in tithes and offerings. And then here's what he says. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. I'm going to explain that in a minute. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then God says, test me in this. And this is the only place in the entire Bible where God gives us permission to test him. And in fact, in other places it says, you shall not test the Lord your God. The only exception is when God says, you can test me (laughs) in this issue. Go ahead, make my day. That's what God is saying. See what happens. He's like, here's what will happen. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. So here the Lord is, he loves you so much that he's encouraging your faith with a promise of blessing. 
when we hold on to the tithe, we are not just robbing him of what belongs to him, but it's, it's bigger than that. It's actually worse than that. We are robbing him of the opportunity to bless us the way he wants to as a loving father. To, to help you understand this, my little daughter, she's like three and a half years old. When Amy takes her to the store, uh, you know, she obviously notices the toys, the toys in the aisle. And like any little kid, she, she wants a toy. So, you know, once in a while, we'll give her something, uh, you know, reward her for being good, something like that, you know. And it's amazing how, how much joy you can bring a three and a half year old with like $10 worth of Chinese plastic, you know. So recently, she saw this cocomelon toy that she wanted, and it was a schoolhouse playset. A schoolhouse playset cost $12. And so Amy had told her, if you're a good girl, when we go shopping today, uh, mom's going to buy you a present, and you can get that, that toy set that you wanted. And so Amy took her shopping. Uh, we, we were actually together, and, and Lila was having a bad day. She's normally a really sweet girl. She's so sweet, but it was not a good day. Every, every kid has an off day, right? She was throwing fits. She wasn't listening. And so when it came time to leave, and she's like, I want a toy, we said, no, you're not getting it. Why? Because she was not obedient. And we cannot, as loving parents, reward bad behavior and reinforce wrong practices. Even though we love her and we actually wanted to give her the present. It wasn't a matter of whether or not we could afford to give it. We're grown people. We have jobs. We, have, we could be like, I want all the cocomelon toys in the store, right? Like, it wasn't a matter of, of whether we could afford it, but we love her too much to reinforce bad behavior in her heart. So we said, man, we can't do this for you. Well, okay, good news. Yesterday, Amy took Lila shopping again, and she was a good girl, and she got her cocomelon playset. I'm so happy for her. Like, she really needed another toy. But that, that's because we are also merciful. We, and this time, she did do a good job. And this time, she, she did do what was right. And so we wanted to give it to her all along. And because she handled herself rightly, we were able to bless her the way that we always had wanted to. And so some of you, you got to understand this. If you haven't been handling finances properly and you haven't been experiencing the blessing of God, you need to know that God is a merciful father. His mercy has no limits. It's infinite. It's like an ocean with no shores, no bottom, no surface. God wants to bless you. And, and so if, you're, if you say, hey, God, I want to do it right from now on, he's saying, let's go. In fact, he actually says in Malachi 3, 7, the same chapter, hey, he says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. But then look what he says, return to me and I will return to you. Isn't that so beautiful that God says, I'm not mad at you. I don't hate you. I want to bless you. Come back. Let's do this the right way. We can try again. And, and then when we talk about blessing, some people, they only think about financial blessing. And I do think God will bless your finances when you handle them the right way. But that blessing, it overflows from finances into every other part of your life. Your relationship with him is blessed. Your relationship in your household with your, your spouse or your kids, that is blessed. Your emotions are blessed. Your mental health is blessed. All of it, because ultimately what you're doing is you're putting God in control of everything. And that trickle-down effect is powerful. Hear me on this. I want to be honest with you. Blessed doesn't mean no bumps. 
Some people erroneously get the idea that if they tithe, then nothing will ever go wrong in their finances and they'll never have a setback. That's not right. I want to prepare you for reality because we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world where even though we believe in Jesus and we're saved and we're redeemed from the curse of sin and we're going to heaven, we still experience some of the consequences of sin in this life. We have the hope that one day Jesus is going to return and right every wrong and make all things new and we'll be good. That day is coming soon. And and this present suffering doesn't compare to the, the glory that's before us, right? But in the meantime, things break. People get sick. People die. Things go wrong. People get laid off. Storms come and destroy harvest before they can be recovered. So sometimes things do happen, but that, that doesn't mean that God is not in control. I want to give you a big picture perspective that the Lord can still provide supernatural protection. Malachi 3, the Lord says, here's what he'll do in this conversation for his people. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop the fruit before it's ripe. So talking to farmers, I'm going to protect your household supernaturally from natural effects of the curse of sin, decay, and destruction. And that doesn't mean you won't ever experience a bump in the road, but it does mean that God will protect you and provide in the big picture. And I've seen so many testimonies of this. I shared this story years ago. It's an embarrassing story to me, uh, so I like it. It's good for me to share those kinds of stories. But years ago, I wanted to upgrade my wife's car get her a newer car with better features. So I got her this super cool Ford Edge. It was a great car. And uh, I, I normally am really good at keeping track of all of our details and I've got it all like automated and it just happens and it's all locked down. But something, I don't know, it was a busy season and I forgot to update our auto insurance company that I had bought her a new car. I was still paying the premium on her old car, which wasn't as valuable. And my premium that I was paying, it wasn't enough to cover what the premium would have been on the new car. And I just forgot about it. I was like, oh, we're good. We're paying for insurance. I forgot. It slipped my mind. I made a mistake. Well, what happened was a few months later, she got into a car accident with multiple cars. And nobody was seriously hurt, thank God. Um, and, And the police technically decided it was her fault. Now, as her husband, I don't agree with that assessment. Okay. I really don't. I really don't. I really don't. I'm not just saying that. I actually think it really was. But, but legally, she was liable. We, as a, a unit, as a family, were liable. And so when this happened and I realized, oh, no, I was not paying the insurance on this car. We are not covered by our insurance for this accident. Our insurance company could legally say, tough luck, buddy. Stinks to be you. And they would have been right. I could have been liable for hundreds of thousands of dollars of damage to this property. I was freaking out. Pastor Ryan was freaking out. Okay? Well, at the end of the day, you know what I thought to myself? I I started to pray about this. And I was like, okay, no matter what happens, God's going to take care of us. If we have to pay for all this, God's going to work it out. He's going to take care of it. Well, I called up the insurance company, and I was like, can I talk to someone who's in charge, please? (laughs) And I was like, you guys, I am so sorry, but I made a mistake. You know, I was paying my insurance, but it wasn't the right thing. It wasn't the right amount. And I was like, can you guys do anything to help me out? 
And they said, well, you know, we're going to talk to our supervisors and stuff, and we'll get back with you in a few days. They called me back, and they said, because you've been a faithful customer, we are going to backdate your auto policy. You just have to pay the difference in the premium of what you would have owed. So I owed them $37. And they covered the entire thing. And they didn't do it because I'm a nice guy. I'm not that nice. They did it because I'm a tither. And God supernaturally protected me from the mistake that I had made. We have, we have another, another quick story. We have a, a gal on staff um, who's just really great. She's been on staff a really long time. When the church was really little, she was first hired part-time, I think making like $12 an hour. And then since then, she's gotten like promoted and just grown in responsibility. And she, her and her family have always been so faithful financially. And so I was asking if I could share her story a little bit. And uh, I've seen them over the years just tithe faithfully and give offerings when they could. And how God has blessed them, both as she's grown professionally, but then, I mean, I got to see her husband go from being an employee where he works to starting his own small business and it thriving. And I got to see her get promoted. I got to see them go from renting a house to buying a house. And so, I mean, I was like, man, what a great example of God's goodness and his blessing to someone who is faithful. Well, just this last week, I was talking to her. And she was sharing with me, uh, hey, they've had a few financial setbacks and had to pay for some expenses that they, you know, kind of big expenses. And then a transmission in their truck went out. It was really expensive uh, to repair it. And she said, I was thinking to myself, like, did I forget to tithe on something? (laughs) And she's like going back through her, you know, stuff like, did I? And that's a normal kind of reaction to think like, man, did I somehow lose God's covering of protection over my household uh, because I haven't been tithing. But, but here's what you gotta understand. God is merciful to us when we make mistakes. The same way that that insurance company was merciful to me when I made that mistake, he is merciful to us and his mercy covers our mistakes, our shortcomings and our, he knows our heart. And so he's not legalistic like, oh, you made a mistake on a technicality, I'm gonna stop protecting you. Like, but, but here's, I'm talking to this staff member and she's like, yeah, this unexpected expense. And I'm thinking in my head, she doesn't know this. And I wasn't planning on telling her right now, but it was already decided weeks ago that because of her long tenure over a decade of faithfulness, she's gonna get a bonus as an employee that's twice the amount of what her transmission repair was. And and so I told her that and she's just like, You see, she was worried, did God remove his covering of protection? And she didn't know that God had already worked it out. God had already provided the answer for the problem. And so what felt like a little bump in the road was actually setting her up to build her faith even greater in God's protection and blessing. And I've seen so many things like that happen over the years that I can't deny that God's word is true. I can't deny it. That's why I have to tell it to you like I believe it, because I do. Hear me on this. Every single Christian who has an income should tithe. Young, old, rich, poor, every single one. And I know, you don't have to take my word for it. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And all of the Bible is the word of Christ, by the way. Uh, Matthew 23, here's what Jesus said. You should tithe. Yes. There you go. End of sermon. <laughs> Boom. Jesus, yeah, you, you ought to tithe. King James Version. This ye ought to do. 
but do not neglect the more important things. To give you a little context, he was talking to some religious leaders, and they were being super careful to tithe on all their income and every little thing, but they were neglecting even more important spiritual things like justice and mercy and faith. And Jesus could have said, I don't care about money. God doesn't care about tithing. But he said, no, you should do that. Just don't neglect this thing that's more important. They're all important, but some things are more important. Like if I said, you know, if you're going to come to church, you should wear a shirt and shoes. That's important. But do not neglect to also wear pants. (laughs) Right? If you wear a shirt and shoes, like that keeps it from getting awkward and keeps your feet from getting burned on the asphalt. It's it's important. But if you don't wear pants, you're going to jail. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So, man, like you should do this. But don't neglect the more important things. And it's the same with tithing. Like, we should do it, and we should know. And there's even things that matter more than that to God. In Deuteronomy 14, this verse really lays it all out in a, in a way that I think is easy to teach. You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be on it, honored, and eat it there in his presence. So this is where I can get really practical and break it down for you. First, notice it says tithe is one-tenth. The word tithe, it literally means tenth. So a tithe is one-tenth of your income or the profit. The Bible uses the word increase. So that's, that's how you know it's a profit. If you do a deal and you take out your expenses and you make a profit of $1,000, The tithe is on the profit, not the whole thing. Uh, If you get a paycheck, you tithe on the paycheck, right? That's your increase. It's one-tenth. Not all giving is tithing. If you get paid and you throw a 20 in, in, in like kind of like a token thank you to God, that's not a tithe. That's a tip. And like there's nothing bad about that, but you got to understand the difference. You tip normally the people who you appreciate who serve you. You tithe to show adoration and appreciation to the one you serve. Okay, you see the difference there? So by all means, tip your waitress, be generous, but the Lord God deserves more than a tip. He requires a tithe. Okay, and then it says on your crops. So that, that applies to us in modern times for those of us who are not farmers and we're not earning an income that way. That just be however you earn your income, your livelihood, your increase, okay? And then it said, do this each year, each year. This is an ongoing thing. Every, every week, every two weeks, every month, whenever you get your income, it's not a one-time done thing. It's ongoing part of the cycle. As you continually receive, you continually honor God by putting him first this way. And then it says, you tithe, you bring this tithe to the place of worship. That would mean, in our modern context, your local church, wherever that is. When the scripture was first written, they had a temple that they went to. Now that the gospel has spread throughout the world, there's all kinds of churches all over the place. So whatever one you call home, that's where you should bring your tithe. If you move away from Arizona and you get a new church, some people have been like, don't worry, Pastor Ron, I'm gonna keep tithing here. And I was like, no, don't. You shouldn't keep tithing. If you move to a new church, you should bring your tithe to that place of worship. That's the place where you're going to worship the Lord. And then it says, eat it there in his presence. This part's cool. In Old Testament times, when they were tithing in the society, they were bringing the first tenth of their crops, the firstborn from their herds, the first fruits from their harvest. 
and they'd bring it to the temple, and they'd give it to the priest and put it in the priest's hands. The priest would put it on the altar where it was, it was consumed by fire, and it ro- smoke rose up to the Lord. The Bible talks about a scent of worship. And then the priest would take the cooked stuff off the grill, give it to the people. They would sit in the courtyard and eat it in God's presence. It was like they got to have a communion meal with the Lord, being nourished by the offering they brought to the Lord. And this is still how it works today. This is so cool. You see this? When you bring your tithe to your local church, you put it in control of of the church leadership. You trust them to receive it. It it gets used to create ministry and and this life-giving ministry that benefits your kids and your marriage and your future and all these things and encourages you and you get community from us. And the Lord uses your giving to fund the ministry that nourishes your soul. You could almost think of your tithe like you're bringing groceries to a chef. You're saying, here you go, God, I'm putting it all in your control. And then God cooks it up into this amazing meal and he serves it to you. And, And that's why sometimes... People will say, you know, I'm not really getting that much out of this church. And I'll say, maybe that's because you're not bringing much to it. The more you bring to the table, the more God will nourish you, and you'll be spiritually benefiting. Your tithing to your church is what funds the ministry that feeds you. And some of you, you've never uh, experienced this. You've never maybe given to this ministry. And you notice other people have been picking up the tab to feed your spirit and to invest in your kids, and we are happy to do that. We will keep doing that if that's what it takes for us to bless you. But for for a lot of you, you'd say, you know what? I've grown in my faith to the point it's time for me to contribute. It's time for me not just to consume. Now, some of you, you might hear this sermon. I hope you're receiving it in the right spirit. You might start to feel like a holy conviction, and you, you could feel potentially like a little embarrassed if you're handling God's money wrong, because maybe you legitimately want to, to do it right in a way that honors him. And, and you're like, Man, I definitely don't want to rob God. But your mind is, is starting to go to the practical implications. And you're already thinking like, but my, my paycheck on Friday and I got these bills coming. How am I going to do this? And you're thinking like, I don't know how I could tithe. And there's some of you right now, you're thinking, cool, but I don't think I can. I don't think I can. And I want to encourage you. And I mean this with every ounce of my soul. Yes, you can. You can. Not only can you, you can, but God will help you to do this. He will help you. You just take that little step of faith, and the Lord's going to show you that you can trust him. It is an act of faith, but you can. Everyone can. Because tithing comes first. I've never met someone who can't afford to tithe. Because it comes first. It's the first thing you do. Proverbs 3.9, it said, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. God gets the first portion because he is the one who's being honored in our lives. It's like, if it's your birthday, you should get the first piece of cake. You're the birthday boy. You're the birthday girl. It would be kind of messed up to give it to someone else, right? And, and when it comes to the Lord... He is the one that deserves to be honored. So he gets the first portion, and you go, okay, this is the first thing I'm going to do. First fruits, firstborn, first portion. That's the best portion. That is what honors God. And so I'm just going to be really straightforward with you. Like, if we were brothers and sisters, uh, because we are in Christ, I'm just going to kind of tell tell it to you straight. Okay, so let's say you've been robbing God, and you want to fix it. 
you need to make a whole new budget starting today. You need a whole new budget starting today. I'm going to make it really practical. You need to reorder your priorities. Augustine said, virtue is rightly ordered loves, and financial blessing comes through rightly ordered priorities. So what you do is, right at the top of a page, you're making a new budget, write down your income, what you think you're going to make, or or have your next paycheck be, or what you're going to bring in next week or next month, however you want to set it up for your household, right? Uh, Write down, what do you think your income is going to be? That's your increase. And then below that, you write 10%. That's your tithe. That's, that's the tithe of the increase. So if you make $1,000, it's $100. If you're going to get paid $6,504, your tithe is $650.40. It's 10%. You write that, subtract that from what you started with. That's what you have left to budget and live on. Okay? So I'm going to help you understand this. Financial priorities. First, God gets 10% off the top. Okay, so you subtract your tithe from that top number. Now you've decided, boom, God gets 10%. And, and let me just be clear, this isn't a matter of how much you can afford to give. It's about how much can you afford to steal from God. So it's not like, man, should I start tithing or not? It's really, should I stop robbing from God or not? And, and I just want to be clear, but I want to say this gently, not tithing is sinning. It's not as evil or wicked as other, certain other sins, but it's still, to sin, it means to miss the mark. So it's like you're off from the bullseye, and God wants to help you get it on the bullseye. So, man, we don't really think about sin that way. Like, man, should I stop cheating on my wife or not? No, not really a good time for me. You know, so it is the right thing to do, and the right time is now. Now is always the right time to do the right thing. So you go, man, I'm going to do this, um, and, and then I'm going to trust God to take care of the details. And I want to help you to be prepared um, to, to understand what you're feeling, maybe some of you, in this moment. And I had to get, uh, had to get a, a 10-year-old root canal redone this week. It was not cool, yo. Like, it's bad enough the first time, and then you got to get it redone. And I was under the impression it was going to be like a little quick touch-up like a little quick thing. Turns out it was worse than the first time. I didn't realize they had to redo the entire thing. So I'm sitting there in this chair like an hour into it and my brain is starting to freak out because I didn't know what to expect going into it. I've got this rubber thing over my mouth. I can't talk. I start trying to ask the dentist. I'm like, how's it going? He's like, it's good. And I was like, man, I'm really, I'm really hoping you'll tell me like what's happening right now because I am starting to have a panic attack. I didn't know I was going to be there for two hours. So I want to help you not have a panic attack. And I'm going to help you understand what's happening right now. If you're not tithing and you, you hear me say you're robbing God, and if that feels like a, a weighty, like kind of gut punch thing that's uncomfortable, and it's not a great feeling, that is called conviction of the Holy Spirit. And it's actually good that you feel that. It shows that you are saved, that you feel conviction when you don't do things God's way. It, man, if you sin and you feel no conviction, it, it might mean that you're not actually saved and the Holy Spirit's not dwelling in you and you have a seared conscience, right? But, but when you feel like, ooh, that's actually a good thing, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, how you react to that conviction reveals the state of your heart. If you feel convicted and, and you feel like a little sad about robbing God after thinking like, man, all Jesus has done for me, that's okay. That's actually a good thing. Second Corinthians 7 says, godly sorrow brings repentance. 
So if you go like, man, I can't believe I've been doing this. That's, that's okay. Uh, God is going to forgive you and help you to do it the right way because he's merciful. If you feel convicted and you feel a little scared, that's what happened to me when I was young. I kind of struggled with this. And then I read this passage like, will man rob God? And it kind of scared me. I'm like, oh, jeez, I don't want to rob God. That does not sound good. That's okay. You are literally getting wiser in real time. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that's okay to feel like a little bit of, oh, okay. But if you feel convicted and then you get angry and start making excuses or you feel tempted to like lash back at me, oh yeah, well, what about blah, blah, blah. That could be revealing that you have a hard heart. And you actually see an example like that in scripture where there's a miracle where Jesus fed the 5,000 and he received a lunch from a little boy, five, five loaves and two fishes, and he supernaturally, miraculously multiplied what they put in his hand and he fed the people with it. This sounds familiar, right? So much so that there was more than enough left over. And here's what it says about that miracle in Mark 6. They still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. They were able to take the bread and fish into their stomachs, but they weren't able to receive the truth into their hearts. Because they just didn't want to get it. And, and there are some people, and they just never learn to live on less than they make, and they struggle with finances, and they wonder why things aren't working out. But tithing teaches every Christian how to handle money God's way and find contentment and self-control and then experience God's faithfulness. And that builds their faith, which has a trickle-down effect on everything else. So how do you order your finances properly, your financial priorities? God gets the first 10%, boom. Then next, you take care of food, shelter, and clothing. You start going through your most important, biggest needs in order. Go down the list on the budget, then I'm gonna pay for this. One, one person asked recently, like an anonymous question at our men's night, uh, we did some Q&A. He said, what if I have to choose between tithing and putting food on the table? What should I do? I said, if you think you have a choice to make, you choose to tithe. But, but can I just tell you, you'll, you won't have to make that choice. I've never once met a Christian who starved to death because they tithed. <laughs> you know, the doctors, there are like, well, what happened? This poor guy was a tither just tithed himself to death. It's like never seemed to happen, you know? And like, can I just even say it as practically as this? Like, your church would provide food for your table. We do that. And Jesus addressed this in Matthew 6. Don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Man, you have a good Father in heaven who already knows everything you need. Do you think he's going to let you fall on your face and fail as you take steps of faith? No, no he, he is going to take care of your needs and come alongside you. And, and some of you are thinking, but how do I know he's going to come through for me? How do I know he's going to take care of me? But just let's, let's think about it. Like, how, how, how are you going to trust God to save your eternal soul, but not trust him enough to take care of your earthly needs? That's a little thing for him. If he could save you from sin and death and hell, he can put food on the table. 
right? He can keep the lights on. People think, you know, if I, if I tithe, I won't have enough left over. Yeah, yeah, I know from a human perspective that math, it looks like you have less if you have to live on 90%. But I want you to understand supernatural math. 90% with God's blessing is more than 100% without God's blessing. It goes further. It multiplies in his hands. You will always have what you need because he promised you would have what you need. Now, and I know this is scary for some people, and just because I want to help you take that step of faith, we, we do something in our church. The Bible doesn't command us to do this. Um, I just feel like it's a, it's a way we can help you. We do what we call the 90-day tithe challenge, and this is where we're saying we're so confident that God will bless you and provide for your needs. If you sign up for this on our giving page on the app, you say, I'm going to do it, and you start tithing, and at the end of 90 days, you think, it didn't work. God did not come through. That guy was a liar. You can come back to us and ask for that money back, and we'll return it to you. So we're, we're basically just, I'm making it so you don't have to also trust me. You just have to trust God. And, and watch him come through. God is not after your money. Ultimately, he wants your heart. He wants your heart, and so that's why you do this in the right order. You put God first. You take care of the necessities, food, shelter, and clothing. Man, and maybe some of you, you need to go to Financial Peace University and work on getting out of debt. Get it, get, we'll help you with that. And then the third thing on your budget is everything else. Everything else. That's when you start paying for, man, cell phone and internet and Netflix and all these other things. And coffee and eating out and the kids' dance costumes and sports cleats. Like, everything else goes after. This is a very simple budget, isn't it, right? You're like, oh, I can follow that budget. Everything else. And so when a lot of people say, I can't afford to tithe, what they're usually saying is, I don't want to give up anything from the everything else category in order to put God first. But you'll find, man, it, you might have, some of you, you might have to leave a few things out in order to start doing it God's way. You might have to start out purchasing less stuff, spending less money as you put God first. And can I tell you what? You'll be okay. You will be okay. In fact, God uses this practice of tithing to teach us contentment with less. You know what? I had to give up my 10th latte for the week in order to put God first. And you know what I found out? I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. I'm, make, I'm still here. And I'm so, but you know what will happen is eventually you're going to start to see God's faithfulness. And he does it different with everybody. I, there, it's not predictable how he blesses people. I've seen, I've seen single moms who tithe, like, and the next day they had some, like, check up here in their mailbox. And they're like, like, what happened? And then I've seen other people where they, they did it for, like, a year before God blessed them in a very tangible financial way. And I think for some people, God lets the process be slower because we need a little more time to simmer in the pot, the crock pot, you know, like our heart just needs a little more time to grow in faith. And then he comes through and you go, boom. And, and I feel like God is in heaven. He's like, I just wanted to see if you would do it. I just wanted to see if you'd keep being faithful. I believe that tithing is vital to get your family in order. You have to have God in first place so that everything else can go into the proper place. If you buy a new bed from Ikea, you don't start with the mattress. You, you start with the legs and the frame, you know, and, and a lot of people, they want the blessing. They want the mattress. They want the blessing. They want the comfort without putting God first and getting the right foundation. 
God has to be first. In the kingdom of God, whoever honors the king receives the full favor of the king. And putting God first financially puts your heart on solid ground. And it also results in financial miracles and provision and protection, which is great. But that's not the only benefit. But wait, there's more, right? Tithers get to share in the miracle of funding the mission. And I love this, the timing of this, because we just had a focus on evangelism and telling people the good news and sharing the gospel. And then we've been celebrating how many people have come to Christ uh, in the last year at our church and you know, made that decision. We're having some baptisms after this service. We're going to celebrate with people who are having you know, this amazing experience with the Lord. Like, but when you give, you're not just receiving blessing. You're also contributing to a life-changing, eternity-altering, family-tree-recreating ministry. You get to fund that mission. I'll just read you this last passage, and then we'll close. I didn't have time for it last service. Luke 8 says, Soon afterwards, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. These women who had been delivered were giving to Jesus' ministry so that he could go and preach the good news. Those girls, those are some girl bosses. Like, who runs the world? Girls. These girls, they're giving to fund the mission and, and you think about how cool that is that they got to contribute in that way and watch Jesus do miracles. You know, there are people they will skeptically say, all the church wants is your money. And if you're being honest, you know that's not true. Nobody took a, a ticket from you when you came in the door. No, nobody made you pay to come in. Nobody made you pay to drop your kids off and, and watch your kids. Like, where, where else do people do that for you? Like, try leaving the restaurant today without paying your bill and watch what happens. Nobody says, all the restaurant wants is my money. Like, no, but at the church, we really, we really want to contribute to you. We want to bless you. We, we want to do what God has called us to do. And the, those who aren't, aren't giving, they're not tithing, man, you, you think, I'm benefiting from this, but maybe it's time for me to start contributing to this. And what is so cool is when you watch people raise their hands to accept Jesus or go down under those baptism waters and reemerge with the joy of the Lord on, your, on their face, you know as, as, a, as a follower of Christ and as a family, like, I got to help with that. I got to give to help make that possible. And yeah, like the, the Lord gets all the glory, but you get to share in the reward of funding the mission. Just like those early women as they were putting food on the table for Jesus and his disciples. And then they get to turn around and see Jesus raise a little girl from the dead and call Lazarus out of the grave. And they they got to know, like, I helped make that happen. God gets the glory. It's his power. But I get to participate. He doesn't need our money. He wants to let us participate in the process so we can share in the reward. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you for your word. I pray that it would fall in good soil on our hearts, that we would receive what your word says, and that your Holy Spirit would convince us of the truth. I thank you for so many people who have faithfully experienced your goodness through giving and tithing and putting you first this way, Lord. And I'm also praying for those who are 
in the process of growing in this area. And I pray that they would just feel your love in this moment. I pray that they would feel faith rise up in them, that they would be encouraged and be expectant to see you keep your promise. I thank you in advance for all the blessing you're going to pour out on these families and, man, their kids and those around them, Lord. I thank you for your goodness, and you continually blow our minds with your provision and your goodness to us, Lord. Thank you so much for what you're going to do. Thank you for using our church. It's all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand to our feet. We're going to respond. We're going to celebrate baptism. It's going to be a great moment. Let's do it.